0: Welcome to the Baseball America podcast. Baseball America, bringing you baseball news you can't get anywhere else for more than 35 years. Now it's time to talk baseball. Hey, welcome everyone to a Baseball America podcast and Facebook Live brought to you by Baseballism. I'm John Manuel, joined by Carlos Claus on my left, Teddy Cahill on my right. We're going to talk a lot of baseball draft today, the 2018 draft. We might even drop in some 2017 draft wrap-up. We're all working on draft report cards. We might talk talk a little Braves. I'm not sure. I'm a little spontaneous that way. That's why Baseballism sponsors the podcast. and want to thank you for tuning in, and Baseballism does sponsor the Baseball America podcast and Facebook Live. It's because Baseballism is the official off-the-field brand of baseball, offering apparel for men, women, and kids. Shop now at Baseballism.com. Enter the offer code BAShip and receive free shipping on your order. That's Baseballism.com. Visit that website for shirts, hats. We've got the hats. We've got the shirts. We got hoodies. We've got backpacks. So uh, we thank Baseballism for sponsoring us. And uh, later this afternoon, we'll podcast with a different crew talking about the playoffs. It was our daily playoff podcast that we did last year. That was a lot of fun. Kind of unlocked a little bit of uh, the power of the Baseball America podcast, which we've been doing for uh, this is our twelfth year of podcasting. If you can believe, it. we started in October of uh, 2006 in J.J. Cooper's empty church where J.J. was the uh, audio guy. And uh, part of that podcast wound up being talking a little, uh, um, uh, what's the show? It's with, uh, I can't remember her name. Heidi Klum. Heidi Klum show about... Uh, Fashion, I can't remember it. You're either in or you're out. <laughs> Auf Zayn, I can't remember the name. Uh, Project Runway, it came to me. There was Project Runway talk on that first <laughs> Baseball America podcast. Those were innocent times, Teddy. Uh, we've moved on from those innocent times to days where we do a mock draft and Seth beer's not even in the first round. What has happened to this uh, to, to Baseball America over these 12 years where we can't put Seth beer with the Brewers just for the fun of it, Teddy? <laughs> um, uh, so, so I did the mock draft the other day. I guess uh, it's just a rule now that our first mock draft has to have a Florida Gator uh, at number one. A couple of years ago, it was A.J. Puck. Last year was Alex Fado. This year, it's Brady Singer. So what does Brady... I'll just start with that conceit. What does Brady Singer have to do to avoid the prior uh, pitfalls of A.J. Puck, who fell to six, and Alex Fado, who inexplicably to me
1: fell to 18 in the 2017 draft? Well, I think part of it is... Um... Just that the, there's a, this natural, you know, if they if they start at one, they don't end up at one. I, I feel like that's where we're going as an industry recently. Uh, it's been since, like, Strasburg and Harper that I, I would say that the guy who was anointed as the early favorite for number one actually was able to go right. and stay there and get picked there. You know, I mean, I, I know we had Brendan Rodgers pretty much stay number one throughout, but he didn't get picked there. Right. So
0: Carlos Rodon was a great example yes. of a guy who... The end of the summer of 2013, we just talked about what a chasm it was between Rodon
1: and the rest of the class, and he still went first for the college players, but did not go one overall. So, I mean, I think some of it is just that, you know, these guys wind up getting picked over. Um, You know, Brady Sinner didn't pitch anywhere this summer. It's not like people are unfamiliar with him. He was an unsigned second rounder. He uh, was the number one prospect on the Cape in 2016. He didn't have to pitch anywhere this summer. You know, they all saw him. Plenty this spring as well. But, um, you know, people are going to look at him more carefully now. And he does things a little unconventionally. The arm slot is different. Right. He has, you know, he was an unsigned second rounder for a reason. You know, uh, that that was not a, a thing where he was just so dead set on going to Florida after the draft. Uh, as I recall, he changed his Twitter bio to say Blue Jay. <laughs> That's right. Um, <laughs> I think and, the way that we like to write that is that he agreed to a deal with the Blue Jays. Then
0: he went in for his physical, and after his physical, it's not that he failed a physical. But after the physical, the deal that he agreed to beforehand was not the same deal afterward. And he wound up at, at Florida, and so far, so good. He's been he healthy, is, he has and made he's made every national title. Yeah,
1: I mean, he came out of the bullpen uh, as a freshman and, and pitched just fine. He took the ball every turn last year. He threw like 120 innings. He looks electric. The fastball runs and moves an awful lot. Uh, you know, The breaking ball is very special. I think one area that he's going to want to shore up on that people are going to be looking at is the changeup. I know they've made, you know, that's an area of emphasis for, for Florida for him this year is to improve that change up. Um, but I, I think the there are just going to be some questions about uh, the arm slot, how you think he'll hold up. But for me, you know, and I, I think for a lot of people, that's being overly picky just look at what max scherzer has done uh but that is those are going to be some of the questions that, that he has to answer
0: i think you the there's a lot of great information in there but i think the the best thing you said if i'm uh, gonna grade your answer on a 2080 scale <laughs> you get a 70 for these guys get picked over when you start at the top i mean uh these guys do get picked over i feel like carlos uh when we're talking about the number one pick, which is going to be the Detroit Tigers, uh, stunningly, to talk about finishing with a flourish, the Detroit Tigers. Um, I guess the uh, managing Ian Kinsler for game 162 was a plot to help get this first overall pick, so well done, Ian Kinsler. Um, but he was a 17th-round pick, so you don't have to have the first overall pick to, to have impact. But when we talk number one overall, uh, Carlos there hasn't been a high school right-hander mm-hmm. number one, so I don't want to. I don't want to get into that trope. Yeah. So let's just assume that no high school right-hander is going to go first this year. That Alavila and David Chad and Scott Plyce and the front office and scouting department in Detroit doesn't want to break uh, with tradition. Let's just let's just so let's just set Ethan Hankins and the rest <laughs> of those guys aside. Um, if they go in another direction, it feels like that right now the most likely high school guys who could go that high. We have a decent amount of position mm-hmm. players who could go there. You've got uh, Nolan Gorman. You've got Bryce Terrain. you got Nander DeSatis, you got Jared Kellenick. Mm-hmm. These are probably the four most famous, I guess, high school position players. Which of those guys, in your mind, sitting here October 2017, uh, if you had to pick one of those guys who could be the first high school position player drafted in could go number one who would you pick who's your pick to click it would
2: be it would be tough to pick against Bryce Terang and he's another guy who kind of like Singer is a guy who's been around for a while and people are going to pick over and get kind of nitpicky with him just because he's been around for such a long time scouts have seen him for such a long time that's a great I've, He's I've a lot already like heard, singer. Yeah, yeah I've already heard from scouts who said they think the industry is getting a little too picky just because they've seen him so good so young and now with him having a summer that was solid but not world beating uh last summer with uh with what he did at the plate in the field he was fine he did everything you wanted him to do but maybe not as much with the bat that you wanted to see he's a guy who might be a little overpicked at this point he slid from one to two for us right we had our really early top 10 bryce Tereng was number one now with ethan hankins moving up he's in the one spot another guy that i really like personally is nander DeSatis. I and we've talked about this a lot but he's a shortstop that has probably more tools than Terang. if you're just looking at the raw stuff, he can switch it. He's got juice in the bat from both sides. He made Wrigley Field look like a Little League park hmm. when they were doing the Under Armour All-American, uh, All-American Game Home Run Derby. Uh, he's got a real shot to stick at shortstop. And then you mentioned the other two guys, Nolan Gorman, who maybe improved his stock more than any other player this summer. He arguably has the best power in the class, the entire class as a whole. I know you wrote that in your mock draft as well. Yeah. Um, Tristan, Jared,
0: Tristan Cassis and Nolan yeah. Gorman, I mean you got two guys with huge raw power on this high school side, but one of them can play third base, and mm-hmm. teams are pretty confident in Gorman playing third base. Yeah. And Cassis might be able to do that, but that's a big reason why Gorman ranks ahead of Cassis 100%. on that list. And
2: I think with Nolan Gorman, he's an interesting guy as well because if you saw him at different parts of the summer, you get a vastly different look, which is why the summer is so important. But Nolan Gorman, if you just watch his World Cup games, you saw an outstanding third baseman, but a guy who looked lost at the plate. Right? He really struggled... In Thunder Bay, and I know he was frustrated with that, uh, he got pitched a lot differently in that event than you do in the Summer Showcase. Okay,
0: very steady diet of off-speed, exactly. off-speed stuff.
2: And he struggled, but performed really well defensively, but if you just go back to their warm-up games, um, when the team was getting ready for Thunder Bay, he was the best hitter in the class, and I got scouts talking about how crazy he was at the plate just hitting balls for miles. Uh, he really raised his stock there and just in the four warm-up games they had before they went to Thunder Bay, so... He's a guy who maybe scouts haven't seen as much consistency at this point, but he definitely has shown the tools. He's got plus power. He's got a really good hit tool. People are in on the hit tool from from what I've talked to, and he's got a chance to be an outstanding third baseman as a left-handed hitter. So that's and, a lot to like.
0: And Teddy, I think uh, on the high school side, one of the guys who – we see some of these familiar profiles, but we kind of were going back and forth in the White Sox pick the other day, and Jared Kelenic just – there's so many boxes that he checks that are a lot like – Uh, What we saw with Jaron Kendall from the most recent college class, Um, Mark Ujoa actually asked us on uh, our Facebook Live, could you see Kelnick making the jump to a top five pick? I like the hit tool, power potential, 6'5", 60 speed, 91 miles an hour from the outfield. He checks all those boxes, but I mean, there was a reason, you know, that that Kendall went up going to college, there was some rawness to the bat, but also Wisconsin outfielder and the next This last month, as we see him in a couple weeks when uh, Carlos and Keegan Lowe and the crew, I think you might be going too. This might be news to you. <laughs> but go to Jupiter and watch the Worldwood Bat Association uh, championship that Perfect Game puts on. That basically will be it for Kellenic. I know he's going to play travel ball in the spring. He's not playing with his high school team in the spring. So maybe he'll get seen a little bit more than the average Wisconsin kid. But this is it for him. Like This is almost finishing school for him like this is the last chance he has to make a great impression and push himself into that top five
1: i imagine he'll go to super 60 uh, in chicago most midwestern kids go to that that's super bowl weekend and that's probably going to be it you know that their guys will go in and see him wherever he is but that is that is it and jupiter is is the one of the last events that that he's really going to be prominent on and Um, I mean, there is going to be – I mean, there are positives and negatives to that. Uh, The negative, obviously, is that you can't really help yourself in the spring. The the big positive is that uh, if you aren't that great, most people are going to just dismiss what what happened. Um, You know, we we see that all the time with these northern high school kids. Uh, You know, I I think he has the tools to make that jump. I think it's going to be a significant uh, ask to ask a GM – Uh, to take a player in the top five that they haven't really been able to see against any sort of real competition. And honestly, it might be difficult to get a GM in to see a player like that just because of weather uh, and everything. Um, You know, their schedules are, you know, they they, they don't have a ton of windows for the most part. I mean, A.J. Preller excluded to, you know, go in and, and watch these guys. So he is fighting a bit of an uphill battle. Uh, but the tools are there. There's a lot to like. And I, I think he, uh, you know, maybe he can get in there, but, um, you know, I, I think it's more likely that we see him in that, you know, 6 to 15, 6 to 12 range.
0: The other Midwest uh, school that's affected by this is more on the college side. We have, I know there's a lot of talent we've talked about in past podcasts and Facebook lives about how this draft class is going to be very Florida Georgia line centric. Oh, yeah. But um, Wichita State's <clears> one <throat> of the college teams that. It's going to be interesting to watch not just Grayson Janista but Alec Boehm as well. They've got some talent, Teddy, and they're going to. Those guys are going to be scrutinized early on the road. I don't think Wichita State plays at home until at least March. Uh, is there? I mean, how much do you think that might affect those guys? Because those guys did make a pretty strong statement this summer with Wood and the Cape. They did.
1: You know, it, it, they play in a good league now. They move. They're. I mean, the Missouri sorry, the Valley Conference Kiefer. was solid, but they're moving into the American, um, and the American is. You know, it's not a power five league because of football, uh and they're frankly they're basketball, but um (laughs) they're uh they are in in baseball, they're one of the better conferences. They've they've proven that since that league came into existence. Um and and so Wichita State joining that this year, they're gonna see some good competition. Um and and I think that Wichita State in general plays a very ambitious schedule that goes back before Todd Butler's days to, to Gene Stevenson, but Todd Butler's really continued that in a lot of ways. So they're, they're going to be seen against solid competition. I, I don't think that's going to uh, much impact them. They do do a decent job of getting home. So, you know, I the, the Northern College kids that have to travel some, it, it is rough on them to some extent, but they also have to be used to it by now. I mean, these are juniors. Right. You know, the, this isn't anything new for them. And these, are,
0: it does seem like those are some of the guys who kind of come on late as well when and the reason they come on late is that's when they're getting cross-checked. You're not going to cross-check a kid in the northern part of the country in February and March. You're going to cross-check him later on as a, as he gets seen a little bit more. We have a few Facebook questions, but I did want to go one more general question to you. Uh, Carlos, just about the, the depth. I mentioned right-handed pitching earlier. I know we talk about Kumar Rocker and mm-hmm. Ethan Hankins a lot, but there's a lot of depth to this high school yeah. pitching class. Uh, you know, I, ha- I didn't mention Matthew Liberator before. I probably should have as a contender for one overall. But I did want to focus on those right-handed pitchers. Um, the high school right-hander is a very uh, volatile phylum of player. But there are a lot of options yeah. in this class. We had one email about Cole Wilcox.
2: Okay.
0: Um, one of the questions I should say that's on uh, asked to us on Facebook. It actually comes to us from uh, George Blackburn, uh, friend of the program. Uh, he likes him a little higher. He said than where I had him. I had him twenty-four to the Cubs. Mm-hmm. Um, but Carter Stewart, Mike Vassell, Cole Wilcox, there's all kinds of different shapes and sizes of high school right-handers to take.
2: Yeah, there are a ton. And honestly, figuring out these righties after you get outside of like the top 10 on our list, we have Cole Wilcox number 13 on the high school list, uh, if you're curious about that. Um, but really figuring out these guys from the like 15 to, honestly, the 30, 35 range, I asked a ton of scouts how they would line up these guys, and all of them have different answers just <laughs> right. because... They all have similar stuff. Well, not all of them. They're, they're different, but they all have exciting stuff. All these kids are throwing in the 90s. Most of them can spin a breaking ball pretty well. Carter Stewart's, obviously, is an extremely exciting breaking ball. With Cole Wilcox, he's a guy who's 6'5", 220, and gets it up into the upper 90s uh, with two breaking balls and a changeup. That's really <laughs> exciting. And when you're talking about a guy who's not even in our top grouping of pitchers, right you get a sense of the depth of this class. I mean, you go down really to, I think, at number 50 or 49, we have Dominic Pipkin, and he's a guy that's touched 96. Like He's <laughs> at, at the end of 49. our top 50 list, and there are guys who even didn't make the list who have this kind of projection and live arms and just really exciting stuff uh, that it's just going to take some more time to bear down on.
0: It's, you know, I, I, there, there have been years in the drafts I've covered where there have been really poor years for high school pitching, like, 2008 stood out because there was only one high school right-hander who's, who signed in the first round, and it was Ethan Martin. I mean, uh, Garrett Cole didn't sign that year. Mm-hmm. Or the 20, I think it was the 2013 class where I went to Under Armour 2012 and the hardest pitch thrown was 93 miles an hour. And it was Brett Morales who wound up at Tampa and had some injury issues after he was at Florida and then Tampa. And I, don't think, uh, I, haven't, followed, I haven't seen where Brett wound up. I, for some reason, I think I, I think I saw him in this year's draft. Actually, mm-hmm. I didn't pop for him. Connor Jones was the other hard thrower in that draft class, and, and he got the high A, I believe, in the uh, in the Cardinals organization this year. Obviously, helped Virginia win a national championship, but he hasn't really popped either mm-hmm. from that 2013 high school pitching class. But those years are they stick out because there's so many more years where there's just giant depth of high school mm-hmm. pitching. And it just seems like they're more advanced now than they were 10, 15 years ago. You see more guys who separate. And this is just talking to scouts as well about it. I've run this by some guys, even with draft report cards this year. You just get more pitchers who in high school have a little more polish and mm-hmm. have a, both a separate curve and a slider than you did 15 years ago. And I mean, I just look at this list and see like Slade Ciccone and Cole Wynn at 15 and 16. Yep. And Cole Wynn, uh, you know, just by Colorado. High school pitcher affectation that um, I need to get over, but I was talking to a sky director this he year got about over it. it.
2: Getting out to California, exactly, and he
0: was like, "Oh, I know." He said he, we lamented that he left Colorado because we both like <laughs> Colorado prep pitching as a genre, and he was like, "Well, I'm still going to call him a Colorado kid to me." So, but now he's at Orange Lutheran. But these are guys who, in some years, will be the top two mm-hmm. or three pitchers on the high school side. Um, it seems like the better depth on the college side is on the left-handed pitching, Teddy, whether it's Ryan Rollison or Tim Cade or Connor Pilkington. There's not necessarily a frontline left-hander other than maybe Rolison, um, but there is significant depth on the college left-hander side.
1: Yeah, I mean, we don't want to forget McClanahan there. Yeah, I, mean, um, I
0: did. I did forget Shane McClanahan. <laughs> I was only thinking SEC left-handers, apparently.
1: Yeah, uh, I mean, obviously he has some injury questions, but you know, there are, there are a lot of uh, left-handers there, and, and McClanahan and, and Sainter were part of this very impressive 2015 high school pitching group, especially in the state of Florida, um, you know, where you had Singer, Tristan McKenzie, Jacob Woodford, and you know, Austin Smith, and it, a lot of guys like that. And, and some of them pop and some of them don't. And th- this is what makes you know high school pitching so difficult is that you know, even the guys that get drafted earlier, you know, Smith and, and Woodford, I believe, were the, the first two from that group out, mm-hmm. they are not. If you do it now, you're looking at Tristan McKenzie and Brady right. Singer being at the top of that group. So you never know how they're gonna develop. And you know, that that is part of the reason why some of these guys are getting forced down the board. You know, you might think like, oh, that's a low for, for this one guy or or, or Slade Taccone or, or or wherever, but um it's a risky profile and teams are, are gonna be wary of that. And when you have college pitchers as an option, that's much less risky. So you can take Ryan and and he'll only have two years of track record in the yeah. SEC because he's an eligible sophomore. But you know, that, that's got more certainty to it than a, a, a high school pitcher.
0: And then the, the other kind of genre, before I get to the questions, that always moves up is the college infielder. I'll point you to Keston Cura last year. Even didn't, even didn't even play a game at in infield for UC Irvine. I think he played two after signing with the Brewers. But I love Keston Cura as a prospect. Uh, first mock draft, he was 10 uh, last March. How quaint a mock draft in March. That's the first mock draft. <laughs> now we did one in, in October. But first time last year, he was 10. And we got some pushback on, like, oh, he's not going to go that high. He wounds up going nine because, or Logan Warmouth, another guy. Had a good cape, good sophomore year. Wasn't a big-time guy out of, uh, out of coming out of the Orlando area at a high school. But college middle infielders are a genre that moves up Uh, And draft classes and high school right-handers are one that moves down. But the college middle infielders, like Jeremy Ironman's already up there. But if Caden Grenier hits, you know, we have him at 25 on our college top 50 right now. If he hits, that guy's going to fly off the board because he could definitely uh, play shortstop. If Nico Horner hits, well, I mean, he's not super physical. But if he hits in the spring and hits in the Pac-12, you're going to see that guy go off the board. If Tyler Frank hits... He's in a go because he played with college national team. He's got a very high floor. He's caught in the past. Uh, he's an infielder now. Um, th- th- those are the kind of players who can who can move up. I don't know if there's anybody else, Teddy, who was on the 50th or college middle infielders that might have made your, your cape list or someone who jumps out in your head. But I, just, I think those are the kind of guys that jump up.
1: You know, I, I think it's a year where we're kind of going to be kind of looking for these guys a, a little bit. You know, I mean, the, there's Madrigal and everyone, you know, is very comfortable with him, except that he's as short as he is. Yeah. Um, but every, everyone's comfortable with with what he can bring. Uh, but I, I think God, there is room for a Nico Horner or a Tyler Frank or a Nick Dunn. Um, you know, there there's a whole there was a whole group of guys near the back of the Cape Fifty mm-hmm. that was kind of generally pushed there because you're probably a second baseman or you are a second mm-hmm. baseman in Nick Dunn's case, like a um, Kevin Merrill
0: in this year's draft. Yeah, was a guy who yeah, he's a college shortstop. I don't think he's a pro shortstop, but flew up the board. If you're a college middle infielder, then they, you have more possibilities, the higher floor. He had an impact tool in his speed.
1: I, I would look for maybe a f- guy like Ford Proctor at Rice, who yeah, had a good phenomenal freshman year and was a little bit down, not entirely terrible as a sophomore, but you know, it was a little bit lesser than than his first team freshman All-American all yeah. season. If he can get back to that and convince more people that he's a shortstop, I mean, that that's a guy that, that I could look at to, to make a run. And th- there are several players like that. In this class, I think it was the Cape was littered with. I felt like um, (laughs) guys that are well, are they really a shortstop? But I mean, if they either they hit and it becomes a non-issue, or they say. You know, yes that guy can play shortstop and we're willing to wait on the bat
0: well we'll take a few of these questions and Gonzo Silva friend of uh, friend of BA as well says do you think the A's should take Nick Madrigal from Morgan State in the first round yes that's why I had him <laughs> that's why I threw him there in the first round in the mock draft Gonzo I'm I'm, I'm all about Nick Madrigal I'm all about Elk Grove High NorCal it lines up he seems like he fits like as the ninth overall pick that's not too high it's, I don't think it's too low. I think it's just right. So um, he, he's right in the Goldilocks uh, zone for the first round of the draft. Francisco Paulino asks Where do you see Seth Beer going? Do the Mets have a chance? I mean, Carlos, uh, I know college isn't your bailiwick here, yeah. but, uh, but Seth Beer, we all know Seth Beer. You've heard me uh-huh. rant about Seth Beer here in the office for several months. Um, may, the Mets probably do have a chance at him, maybe in the second round.
2: Yeah, that's the thing with Seth Beer the whole time and getting these lists together is there are guys all over the board with Seth Beer. He's going to be one of the most polarizing players the entire time, I feel like, while we're trying to figure out these guys. But just because of his tool set and the limitations he has defensively, uh, there are guys who are more in on the bat than other guys. I mean, it's just one of those profile questions where it just depends on your organization, your philosophy. Uh, And I know most teams don't draft on positional need. That might be something you even have to think about just because he's so limited. Maybe an American League club will be more willing to take a guy like that. But at this point, we've just had so many people all over the board with Seth Beer. It seems like wherever we put him on our list, guys will tell us he's too low and he's too high. So I don't know what to do with Seth Beer at this point. I can't wait till the season comes and we see what he does with the bat. Because the summer might have not been what he wanted exactly. It wasn't great, but he's one of the best hitters in the class, and I feel like he's he's going to be that when the spring comes. So. I
0: just I always like to look back at that. That 2008 draft was so heavy with college bats, especially left-handed bats. Mm-hmm. It was, I mean, we had Eric Hosmer. Was, they had six first basemen, uh, eight first basemen. I think Eric Hosmer is obviously a high school one, but Yonder Alonso, you know, better pure hitter, probably not the power of a Seth Beer, and it's had a nice pro career, especially kind of redeemed it some this year, uh, tapping into his power. Justin Smoke also career mm-hmm. year, but his ninth year out, uh, you know, finally an all-star. Brett Wallace, kind of uh, no longer around. I think you covered him in San Diego on yeah. your MLB.com internship. Yeah. Uh, Ike Davis, uh, David Cooper, these guys have been big leaguers and washed out. Uh, Alan Dykstra, I don't think he ever got there. The one
2: interesting thing with this class, in Seth Beer particularly, is there's a high school first baseman, Tristan Cassis, who we already brought up, who is, is going to be a lot more attractive to a lot of guys just because Correct. he has an advanced tool set. He's a guy who moves around really well, is a great first baseman now, and most scouts that I've talked to think he'll be a plus defensive first baseman. The value in that is what you want to take. I mean, first base is not a premium defensive position. Some guys think he might be able to play third. It might be a little bit of a, a stretch at this point, but right. I've seen him play third, and he moves around, grabs the ball well, throw. he has a strong arm, sets right. the arm at this point. Uh, it's going to depend on what you believe in the bat. Obviously, the high school guys are a little riskier as well, just from a hitting perspective. But when I look at Seth Beer and think of him, uh, I can't imagine many teams think that Tristan Cassis is worse. Uh, or, or just the overall profile, right. I guess, is going to be interesting with him. Because I think it has to. you be do have to compare high school versus college. Yeah. But if you want to look at the tools, Tristan Cassis has the tools.
0: If you're looking at bat first, guys.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Another thing is that Cassis has a better wood bat track record. That's, to me, yeah. the other thing I'm not... For me, he said beer out of the first round. His lack of athleticism was there already in the spring or even last year. I know he got, we have talked about his regression athletically and the speed, but the way he hit his freshman year, it didn't matter. He didn't hit as much this year, so it mattered a little bit more. But if he hits, he's going to go off the board. But I don't, I can't see him. I, the, the lack of back track record is concerning to me, Teddy.
1: It is. I mean, the what, what he's done, um, you know, the last two summers with Team USA has not been encouraging. Yeah, four uh, extra it, bases. Yeah, I mean, it's it's not what you're seeing at Clemson, uh, you know, for whatever the reasons, um, you know, but it, it's tough when, when you go and you watch the college national team you don't see him the way you see him when you go and watch Clemson. And I mean, he's not hitting, you know, three and four. And he's not... It's
0: not the confidence either. He doesn't He doesn't own the, the
1: batter's box with Wood. No, I mean, you you roll into a Clemson game and everyone is very excited anytime Seth Beer comes to the plate. You can't
0: miss the guy. You
1: watch him with the national team, it doesn't feel the same way. And, you know, I mean, so he has to get over... You, you, you have to get over that. You have to get over the athleticism. You have to get over the position. And I think that's a huge issue is that if you look at the last few years, we've had Brent Rooker and A.J. Reed, guys who just absolutely destroy baseballs in college. Dominated. And they're first basemen, and they can't get into the first round. I'm not saying you can't do it. Evan White did it. You know, he may or may not end up as a first baseman. But, you know, if you're going to be that kind of, you know, base-clogging, runner, and limited to first base, You like the two best examples we've seen have gone you know just outside the first round. And I'm beginning to think that that is where Luke and Baker and where Seth Beer end up.
0: Those are uh, outstanding examples. I like that. That's why I wanted to make sure I asked you that question. We'll wrap up with a couple more. Uh, Mark Wilder asked, what about Connor poking to the Mets at six? That feels a little rich, Mark, for Connor Pilkington. He's not really a true plus pitch for Connor Pilkington, but he does check a lot of boxes. He's physical. He's left-handed. He's very young for the class. He does throw quality strikes. If this stuff takes a step forward, I think I can see that. But I think he's the other. He's the second Magnolia State left-hander this year's draft uh, on the college side. I think Ryan Rollinson at six makes it more sense. But obviously, we put Shane McClanahan there in the uh, in the mock draft. Chris Molnar asked, "Sorry if I missed it, but you, uh, if you said it, uh, where would the Tigers go for number one uh, Brady Singer?" But that's all in the mock draft. If you go to BaseballAmerica.com, you can't miss the mock draft. Last but not least, John Erkula asked a long question. I will paraphrase about wh- how the West Michigan Whitecaps won so many games in Low Class A without like big time prospects and prospects and winning in the minor leagues definitely aren't necessarily correlated. When you see them correlate, I think you get really excited for a team such as two weeks ago, the A championship game where Willie Adames and Brent Honeywell and Diego Castillo and, you know, Keon Wong and these prospects carried Durham to a championship over a similarly prospect-laden Memphis team that won the PCL that had Jose Adoles Garcia and Tyler O'Neill and Dakota Hudson starting one year out from being a Mississippi State and being a first-round pick. So you can have prospects who win. But you don't need prospects to win, certainly not in low Class A. Um, so, yeah, Isaac Paredes and um, Daz Cameron, they did get some prospects later in the year. Um, but, yeah, you don't need prospects to win in the Midwest Midwest League. That is uh, certainly the case. So, um, good stuff, though, guys. We're going to have a ton more draft con- uh, content coming up. I'm not going to waste uh, everybody else's time and make these – I was going to put them on the spot and talk about the Braves, but uh, – Oof. That is a that's a whole other podcast. It's a whole other show. I think
1: JJ could talk for like, I yeah. don't know, five hours, eight Have hours, J. 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 however
0: however long you want. If I, I think JJ's got for. If you. we were sponsored by Five Hour Energy, I think we would do that and put JJ to the <laughs> test with that talking braves. But we're not sponsored by Five Hour Energy. We're sponsored by Baseballism. So we thank you for tuning in today. Our podcast at Facebook Live was sponsored by baseballism. Don't forget to shop now at baseballism.com and enter the offer code BAship. To receive free shipping on your order, visit Baseballism.com, shop for hats, shirts, and much more today for Ted Cahill and Carlos Collazo. I'm John Manuel. We'll see you on the next Baseball America Facebook Live. So long, everybody. This concludes our program. Want more in-depth baseball coverage? Be a better fan. Visit BaseballAmerica.com to get more comprehensive baseball coverage.